Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. All right, check, check. All right, good morning, everyone. Now that you've greeted each other, go ahead and find a seat. I was telling some friends this morning, these seats up front are more like first-class seats. They're a little bit sturdier chairs than the ones in the back. Uh, Yeah, first class, see? I was thinking we should do something like kind of give more leg room in the front and put some tables out and have somebody serving drinks and things uh, to get people to sit closer, but we're not there yet, but look for it. Uh, My name's John Eshelman. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a friend of Boog, who is the lead pastor here, and uh, I haven't been here in this space uh, since last year, so it's good to be back and with y'all and sharing some of my thoughts about Jesus. Uh, If you weren't here last week, uh, Kirsten Van Murek shared, and it was phenomenal. We do have a website, Branches OC. You got to go to it and listen to that because it was a just a great time, and I, I'm a little insecure about following that up because it was such a great time. So, bear with me. We're <laughs> I was given this. Uh, Boog and I were talking, and he's like, "Why? You know, we, I want to do four weeks on in evangelism," and I just immediately was like, "Oh no!" But nobody's going to want to hear that. Um, Because for me, and and maybe you're like me, maybe you're not, but when you see this, you're like a little, some of you are like looking for the exits, they're they're right here and right back there, and you're thinking, how do I, I should probably refresh my coffee right now, use the restroom. Uh, It's, I've got a little bit of, you know, sort of pseudo PTSD with evangelism, I don't know about you guys, but I grew up in a very Christian home, a missionary home. Uh, my father is a, an evangelist, and uh, I've had some experience with this word that uh, the spreading of the Christian gospel by public preaching or personal witness, uh, zealous advocate, advocacy of a cause. It was, uh, that's from the internet, by the way. Thank goodness for the internet. But some of you hear evangelism and you're like, woo, yeah, want more of that. Uh, can't get enough of it. That's, that's the best theater you're going to get from me right there. <laughs> I, I, uh, some of you, like I said, are like, ah, evangelism, all right. And you're kind of like already sort of quietly tuning out. Uh, I don't do evangelism. But my, my blood pressure goes up when I hear about it, and I kind of like just get a little antsy and So what I want to do this morning for you all, because we're going to be spending the next four weeks in this idea of what does it look like to take this world here that we have for 75 minutes each Sunday and bring it into our entire world, our whole sphere of influence. You know what I mean? How do we take what we do here, some really weird stuff, right? Like we, we pray and we sing songs and we listen to a guy like me talk about Jesus and 2,000-year-old history and some even older than that. And then we go to our jobs. We're like, none of this has any bearing on, like, 
what I'm doing today. <laughs> How do I live this stuff that I do here out there? That's kind of what we're trying to talk about. How do I make, how do I not bifurcate my life into I've got my church thing and then I've got my work thing and my life thing? How do I keep it one whole thing? So it's when I walk out the door, I'm that same person that I was in here. You follow me? I've been in the church for a long time. I've seen a lot of people, like I've been at churches where people are speaking in tongues and praising God and then, you know, cussing out someone in the parking lot because they cut them off. That's real. You know, and it's happened to me where I've been in here, you know, surrendering myself, all that I am for your glory, your honor, your name. And then what the, as I'm like getting on the freeway and some guy just like, and then I'm on a mission to just ruin this guy's day somehow. I got to get around him and slow down and do what he did to me. And you know, it's like I've, there's no consistency through the deal. So here's what we're going to do. I want to give you a little of my history with evangelism, sharing my faith, share your testimony, doing outreach, witnessing, however you want to kind of talk about that thing. Because uh, I want to give you a framework as we move through the next four weeks of how are we going to... How are we going to view this thing without kind of curling up into a fetal position and being like, don't make me talk to people about Jesus, okay? Uh, that's how I felt. So here's our outline. I'm trusting Cameron here for our outline. 13 years old, a paper I wrote, excuse me, it's the office, witnesses who overwitness, what did Jesus do? It's good news for everyone, chewy. 14th century Persian poetry and make a good expression. It's like a Jeopardy list sometimes, you know? It's like, we don't know where we're going. <laughs> I'll have 14th century Persian poetry for 200. Uh, so 13 years old. When I was 13 years old, I... Uh, <laughs> I look like that. Now, Jer and I were friends who was just standing up here playing, and he did not help me. Uh, he let me have that majestic mullet. He could have easily cut it in my sleep or something, but that's me. I, uh, I'm wearing a Quicksilver shirt. You can't see, but uh, I, uh, I was not a big evangelist at this point in my life, except for maybe, hey, come to church. But really, I was much more into surfing and sun in and uh, <laughs> some other things. <laughs> uh, but my parents, they were on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, which is a missions organization and outreach. And every two years, Campus Crusade takes over Fort Collins, Colorado. They take over Cal uh, Colorado State University, and they bring in all of their staff from all over the world. And it's like 20 Sometimes like 10, 20,000 people are there. It's a ton of people. And so this kid shows up there with his parents, 13-year-old uh, Esh. And they put us in sort of a kid's program while our parents are being you know, taught new ideas about how to share their faith and to kind of uh, have fellowship with other missionaries. And so I'm in this summer kid's program, and... At the end of it, the, the last day, they bust us out to this big park in Fort Collins where people are hanging out and playing Frisbee and having picnics and just enjoying a beautiful Colorado day. And they hand us these stacks of paper, which are these uh, surveys. 
And what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to go out with these surveys and ask people these questions. And these questions are like, what's your favorite movie? And do you enjoy pizza or sandwiches more? And uh, you know, what's your favorite kind of dog? And if you were to die by being hit by a drunk driver on the way home, do you know if you'd go to heaven or hell? Just little questions like that, you know? And it was a little, like, misleading, right? Like, oh, this, and then you get to that question, and it's like, well, let's spend some time here on this one, right? Uh, do you want to know how to go to heaven? Uh, do you want to, you know, burn in hell for eternity or go to heaven? And what, you know, well, I'll take the burning in hell, you know, thing. It, it, it's like most people are like, okay, yeah, I think I'd prefer walking on the streets of gold. That sounds pretty good. Uh, so I wasn't excited this guy was not excited to go do this, to go in a park, he's 13 years old, of a bunch of strangers, mostly adults, and give this survey and try to have this conversation. I was not excited about this, but this was the work of evangelism that, as it was being taught to me in that day. And so I just kind of sat to the side, and I, eventually it kind of came to me. We were supposed to go out and, with a group of people, and I just said, yeah, I'm just going to hang out here on the bench, and you guys go do that. Now... You also have to keep in mind that this huge missions organization, my dad is like a vice president of this thing. So I'm supposed to be, supposed to be the evangelist like up and coming. I am the, the Franklin Graham to Billy Graham kind of thing. Like that's what it is. And I, uh, I don't want to do it. And this, this older woman who's kind of running the time, she says, look, don't. You love Jesus, don't you? And I said, yeah, even though that probably could have been debated at that time of my life <laughs> where I was in my journey with Jesus. I said, yeah, I love Jesus. Well, don't you want other people to know about him? Sure, but I don't want to do this survey thing. You know, that's kind of what I'm thinking in my mind. Well, sure. Well, if you, if you love Jesus, then you will go do this. That's a pretty brutal conditional statement for a 13-year-old kid, especially this guy. Uh, so I'm pretty sensitive. And so what I took into my brain was, oh, if I don't do this, I don't love Jesus. Does that feel a little manipulative, guilt, shame kind of thing to you? Anybody? Are you with me? That's what it felt to me. But I wasn't, you know, sort of, intuitive enough to realize that at that age, I just simply went out with some other people and just kind of stood next to them while they did it, but I really didn't want to go. That was my traumatic event was, oh, this woman's telling me what my relationship with God is based on whether or not I want to go do this thing that I'm really uncomfortable with. Um, that, as I reflect on it now, doesn't feel like uh, Jesus. So let me just settle this right here for you all. If someone gives a sermon that leaves you feeling that way, makes you feel like that 13-year-old uh, me did, that isn't the kind of good news Jesus is talking about. Okay? Uh, you don't see Jesus shaming people, manipulating people, coercing people. He's, he was hard on people to be sure, right? He was harder on Peter than he was on Philip. He was downright mean to the Pharisees sometimes, it felt like. 
but a woman caught in the act of adultery, grace, mercy, for the, the lepers, the blind, the demonized, no expectation of return from them, no fee for services. He cast out demons without reservation. He healed without discrimination. So fast forward a little bit. I'm now probably about 20 years, and I'm having to write a paper for an evangelism course that I'm in. And I did not want to take the the course to begin with, but uh, it was part of the requirements for uh, uh, my degree. And so I'm reading books on the topic trying not to think about this experience and trying to be open to evangelism. And uh, I write this paper on evangelism, and this is the, uh, how I defined it. Um, I think I have a slide. Evangelism uh, is the set of intentional activities which is governed by the goal of initiating people into the kingdom of God for the first time. And... <laughs> This comes from William J. Abraham, The Logic of Evangelism, and I'm grateful for what he wrote and for what people write on evangelism, and I actually think this is a pretty cool little statement, but this just, all of it for me reeks of like, this is tough. (laughs) Evangelism is hard, and this creates a barrier, right? So what I've experienced, and you can just tell me if you resonate with this at all, but most people who've been sitting in seats like I have, because I sit in that, those seats too, a lot, and I've sat there a lot, and I've listened to lots of sermons, most of us feel ill-equipped and insecure about talking about anything that has to do with the Bible or Jesus. Would you agree? Anyone? Right? Oh, I couldn't possibly. I couldn't. No, no. I mean, I just, I don't have it. That's why what we do is we, we bring them here and we're kind of like, okay, guy up there, do your magic. Don't say anything offensive to my gay friend that I brought or to my person who's been divorced or is going through a divorce. And don't, you know, don't, oh, please, I hope he doesn't say this or that because, right? <laughs> but do your thing. Do your thing, magic worship team and magic pastor guy. And because I don't know what to say and I don't know how to do this. Are you with me? Yeah. Because things, statements like this that create this barrier that, oh, you have to have it all sewn up. Like, you need to know every, you got to really understand this mysterious doctrine of the Trinity, and you got to be able to explain that without being heretical, right? You got to understand, uh, you know, well, it's premillennialism, but it's not, you know, it, 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 right? And all of a sudden, you're just thinking of all these words, and you're, you're just, oh, I can't do it. I'm out. I'll let the, the guy up there do it. But this class was good for me because it just started to help me overcome my fear of evangelism. So, excuse me is the next thing. I, I did a little evangelism research on the internet to come up, see what came up, like when I just type it into like the Google machine, and there were some images, and this one was one of them that came up. Uh, evangelism, a requirement, not a request. ouch (laughs) like this was some church's deal like this was their series and I'm just thinking ouch like I had to see this every week I would be like oh man I'm gonna I'm gonna get sick for the next week and or next couple weeks and not be here uh but it's these sorts of things that take me right back to that park in Colorado and ultimately, they don't resonate with what I read in the scriptures. And I looked at this one, I'm like, well, let's just see what Luke 4, 
I, I was looking at these. It was, it was pretty interesting because I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, in knowing what these things say. So does anybody have a Bible? Some, I know we're in church and everything, but still, there's sometimes we don't know where they are. Um, <laughs> this is how things were with G- Jesus, too, you know? It was like, they're just scrambling. I was telling Kim before the service, because we, we deal with, like, microphones and PowerPoints and things like that, and Jesus had to deal with a place to stand. Uh, one time he had to get in a boat because there was no room for him to stand anywhere. Uh, so Luke 4, it said 418, right? Let me make sure I got this one right. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me. This is all Jesus, by the way, right? To proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So it's evangelism. It's a requirement, not a request. And the verse they use is all about the role of Jesus. But you just throw a scripture tag on there, and they're like, ha-ha. You're stuck now. You're all got to evangelize, you know. And, uh, but I read the verse. I'm like, well, that's beautiful. That takes a lot of pressure off me. <laughs> Which it should because it's not up to you. It's not on you. It's on Jesus. Maybe we should clarify that, right? Re- a requirement maybe for Jesus because he is the evangel. He is the good news. He is, that's, that's one of the things, like, uh, if you could take away thing from this, when you introduce someone to Jesus, you're introducing them to the good news. And what comes with him is this kingdom, this way of living in the world, this way of being that's hidden right in the middle of this one. And Jesus helps open our eyes to that way of living. So we are more inclined, I would say, to give information about Jesus than we are to give just Jesus. I know that's a weird sort of differentiation, but we're more inclined to give information about Jesus than to give them just Jesus. What does it look like to introduce someone to Jesus? There's this thing called the church that is known also as the body of Christ. It is the manifestation of that person, Jesus. So, what we often do is we continue to tell them about Jesus without a demonstration of Jesus, a manifestation of Jesus. But as the Apostle Paul, he says, for Christ's information, biographical history, Christ's uh, Wikipedia page compels us. No, it's Christ's love compels us, is what Paul says. That's what's drawing us, moving us, motivating us. It's this thing that you experience. It's this thing that has overtaken you through the power of his spirit, that you experience through the miracle of creation, that you experience in the eyes of your best friend, of those that you encounter on a daily basis, those that bear the image of God. But unfortunately, We have so many other things wrapped up in the information about Jesus that the moment we start to talk about it in any real way, it's people are just like, la, 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 right? 
I've just been praying a lot lately, and people are like, ah, la, 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 la. <laughs> You've been praying? That's weird. The minute you want to talk about this relationship that you have with the Creator God, people are thinking right-wing, bigoted, racist, Republican, conservative, anti-gay, homophobe. It's like all these things are wrapped up, right? The minute you start to talk about Jesus. So what would it look like then to manifest that love that they might experience it in a real tangible way? So the office, it's the office. And, and what I mean by that, oh, sorry, I want to, this is what happens. I think I have a, a slide for what happens. We want to give people information. That's what we do. That's our stra approaches and strategies. I saw this one on there. But then what it turns into a lot of the times, the moment we start talking, uh, excuse me, ma'am, I'd like to take a minute to talk to you about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> he loves you. <laughs> oh, it's just too, too close to home. Um, <laughs> now, when I say the office, I'm not talking about like Dunder Mifflin. Um, evangelism in the church is an office in the church, okay? So it's not necessarily something that everyone was meant to do, all right? So there you can just take, it's not a requirement. It's an office in the, in the church. So if we read, here's a popular verse with regard, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, he gave the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for work, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So not everyone's called to be a, a prophet or an apostle or a teacher, right, or a pastor, but somehow evangelism got thrown in there as that's everybody's responsibility. I disagree. I disagree. So I'm just trying to let you guys off the hook. So as we go into this, right, you're like, okay, feeling a little better. I want to talk about witnesses who overwitness. Uh, but I would argue, and, and Hoku read this, this passage this morning, you might have been still getting your coffee. Uh, Acts 1.8, I think we have it. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit, this is Jesus talking to his disciples and followers, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So I think we are witnesses to something, right? My guess is that you've, some of you, if not all of you, some of you have not had to have had some kind of experience with this divine love. And you are now a witness to that experience, okay? And I, I, uh, I think about Maybe if you thought of like an accident, you're at a four-way intersection, and you see this, this collision, okay? And you're all sitting in your cars, and you're trying to, you're trying to uh, talk to the police officer who's, who's come to you and said, well, tell me what happened. You're a witness. And they, you give your story, right? But then there's all these other people that saw it from different angles, right? And they saw something else. You didn't see like the kid you know, behind the driver that was, like, hitting his mom trying to get her phone or something, right? You didn't see something, but what happens is, is we see it one way, 
And then someone comes and says, no, 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 that's not what happened. I saw it. This is what happened. And you say, and there's no room for any other viewpoints on this. I saw everything. And what we end up doing is we overwitness. You follow me here? This is a weird thought, but what we do in the church is we have this experience of God, and then we come up with what we think it is and what we say it is, and then we say, this is the way it is. This is how, you, this is how the whole thing happened, and we overwitness. We don't just simply witness to our experience. We witness on behalf of everybody, and we overwitness. We say it's, it's like this and not any other way. And here's the thing I believe about Jesus. I believe that there is one true Jesus, even though we want to put our logo on him. Right? We want him to have a branches sticker on the back of his forerunner or a shoreline sticker. We want him to wear the Presbyterian t-shirt or the Lutheran t-shirt or whatever it is. We want him to wear our wooden cross, not the metal cross. We, we want to brand him. But there is one true Jesus, but I believe there are seven and a half billion ways to get to him. And nobody comes to him the same way. Because you come with your own history, your own issues, your own family, your own gifts, your own talents, your own hurts, your failures, your eyes of seeing the world and everything in it. There's seven and a half billion ways to get to Jesus. But we overwitness when we say, this is Jesus, and this is the way you get to him, and no other way is possible. See, the thing with sharing your faith and what we have today, witnessing, sharing your faith, evangelism, is it was mostly born out of methodologies that came out of the 1920s to the 1950s. Okay, you know what was happening then? Insurance companies were popping up, and there was these insurance salesmen that had this great insurance salesman gig that, where they would say, do you know what would happen to you if you died today? And then they would list all the things, all the ways in which your family would be without and that they would have to cover all your funeral costs and they would not be able to keep going. And, and so they, they fear tactic, they scared you into buying this insurance, right? You need this insurance. And what Christianity saw was, this is brilliant, We'll say the same thing. Do you know what would happen to you if you died today? You're either going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. Do you want to walk on streets of gold or do you want to burn for eternity in torture? Hmm. It was an effective tool, right? Right? People said, well, what do I have to do? Just tell me uh, where do I sign? What do I, how much does it cost? You know, what's it going to cost you? But... Then we would lead them through this prayer. And look, here's the thing. God is sovereign. And God takes those things and he says, yeah, that's how they met me, but we're, we're still going. <laughs> and people have met Jesus that way and they're still walking with Jesus and praise God for that. But we don't, wanna, we don't want fear to be their introduction to the kingdom of God. We want joy, wholeness, life, beauty, to be their introduction. Forgiveness, mercy, grace, all these things that we've been molded by. 
And maybe you've heard the gospel described as fire insurance. Anybody? Seen the bumper sticker? Jesus, it's hell without him. (laughs) They're so good. There's a bunch of them. They're really good. A witness has simply tasted apple pie so good they can't wait to tell you where they got it. (laughs) Oh, man. You got to go to this place. They saw that movie. You got to see that movie. They listened to the album. Have you heard the new album? That's what a witness does. Right? Have you eaten here? You got to go eat there. (laughs) A witness just simply, they have tasted something so beautiful and they're like, oh, you got to taste it. But let's just look briefly even what Jesus does. And I just want to give you a couple bullet points for you note takers out there. Matthew, if you look at Matthew 10 or Luke 10, so just think in your mind, Matthew 10, Luke 10, Jesus sends out his 12. Here's the bullet points. He sends them out in twos. So go in a group. Say this, the kingdom of God has come near. Just that's what he says to say. Say this, this alternate reality where love wins, where forgiveness is the key, where mercy and grace trump everything else, it's, it's built into this whole thing. Say the kingdom of God has come near. Don't take much stuff. Stay in a person, stay in someone else's house and let your peace rest on that house. Heal the sick. Those are the bullet points. I've never heard a sermon on those. Have you guys heard a sermon on that? I've never heard a sermon with someone said, hey, when, we're, we're, when Jesus sent his people out, this is how he told them to do it. Maybe we should do something like that. No, I don't hear that. But he says this. He goes on to say in Matthew 10, I'm sending you out, and if anyone receives you, they receive me. And anyone, if they receive me, they receive the one who sent me. And here's the thought I had. How do we allow our lives to be received? What if our journey is just to figure out a way to be received, to make our lives more receivable for people? That when you enter into someone's house, you let your peace rest on it, that you heal the sick. That looks, a lot of, that looks different in a lot of different spaces. But when you try to overwitness and you get ahead of yourself with your agenda because you think you're supposed to go through the Romans road or all these sorts of things with them. It just doesn't feel authentic and natural. They don't feel that you you have an agenda with them. Oh, you just want to convert me to your religion, right? And Jesus is pretty hard on those people. He says to the Pharisees, woe to you, Ashes, you religious people, you scribes, you preachers, you pastors, you scour land and sea to win a single convert, and when you've won them, you make them twice the son of hell that you are yourself. Oh, that's in the scripture. Billy Graham, uh, one of the greatest evangelists of our day, passed away just about a week ago. Uh, my dad was at the funeral. Uh, They're on their way back right now. They're in the air. He was 99 years old. It was time. I mean, it's like we were always sad to lose people, but it's like, man, you lived a great life. Like, go on home, man. Like, you did good. Uh, 
go and enjoy eternity. But this is, this is what one of the greatest evangelists of our day wrote towards the very end of his life. And I just, it's in an article. It says, Graham also reflected on what he would do differently in his life if he had a second chance. I would study more. I would pray more. Travel less. Take less speaking engagements. He said, I took too many of them in too many places around the world. If I had to do it over again, I'd spend more time in meditation and prayer and just telling the Lord how much I love him and adore him. And I'm looking forward to the time we're going to spend together for eternity. What? He's a witness. Just wanted to be with God. And that's what we're to do. We're just to be with God. We're to be connected, attached to the vine. This place is called Branches. And I remember my, one of my mentors saying, now what does a branch do? And he was talking to this younger, younger gentleman. And he's like, what does a branch do? And he's like, well, it, it produces fruit. He's like, no. And he's like trying real hard. He's like, it grows leaves. <laughs> he's like, no. He's like, what does it do? He's like, I guess it just sort of hangs in there. Exactly. The branch just hangs in there. It just needs to stay connected to the vine. Because once you're disconnected, you can't do anything. Your goal is just to stay connected. You don't see Jesus or the Apostle Paul or Billy Graham, for that matter, at the end of their life saying, I could have saved one more. Right? Jesus simply forgives his executioners before he dies. And then before he ascends, he says, you're going to be my witnesses. I'm going to be with you. Stay here until you receive the Holy Spirit. Paul is under house arrest in Rome, preaching and teaching about Jesus and the kingdom of God. That's what he's doing. Billy is just meditating and telling Jesus how much he loves him. It's not like the end of Schindler's List, right? Where he's thinking, oh, if I just sold this ring, I could have saved two more. No. Okay, we're towards the end here. We've got Chewy. Good news is good news for everyone. Chewy and 14th century Persian poet and make a good expression and then we're out of here. Not really, we're gonna spend some more time worshiping but I'll be out of your face. It's good news for everyone. So uh, a friend of mine is fond of saying that if it isn't good news for everyone then it isn't good news for anyone, okay? He seems to think that the gospel ought to be understood as good news for everyone. And for a lot of people, the moment you start talking about the gospel or the good news, it becomes bad news immediately because they start to think, well, do I have to oppress women and forget about science now? Right? Those are the things that are like already going through their head. Uh, you know, do I have to adopt your racist ideologies and your bigoted tendencies? Is that what I need to do? Because that's how we're kind of known. Right? Do I have to build up more walls around me? The gospel is good news, especially for people who don't believe it, <laughs> who don't know it. Uh, the thing about Jesus and the people that followed him, it was all too good to be true for them. Okay, It was the message for the outcast, the spiritually poor, the meek, 
the peacemakers and the peacekeepers, the tax collectors and the taxpayers, the poor and the kings. It was good news for everyone. So let's suppose one of you has an encounter with Jesus in here and you decide, I am going to follow the way of Jesus, which is the way of compassion, peace, forgiveness, mercy, justice, righteousness, gentleness, patience, kindness. I'm going to walk in that way, you say. And you go back to your home and your neighbors start noticing, oh, he's become like this church guy. And all of a sudden, he's generous, and he's kind, and he's compassionate, and he's talking to me about my real life, and he helped garden the other day. That was weird. It's good news for your neighbor. It becomes good news for the people around you because you become a forgiving presence, a joyful, light, life-giving presence to everyone around you because that's what you're experiencing, right? That, oh, I can all of a sudden, I can be patient. I can slow down. I can think about what really matters. And I can offer that to people around me. But you gotta be true to yourself. The good news is good news for everyone, right? It it begins to spill out onto everyone around you. Uh, We often comment on how dark the darkness is, but we should be asking, why isn't the light lighter? Man, we have this beautiful thing, right? Jesus would talk about it. Hey, don't hide this stuff under a basket. Don't hide it on a, you know, a city. You're a city on a hill. Don't hide that light. Like, and, and I don't say that in a way where you need to go out and talk about the Trinity and those sorts. I'm just saying go out and be, a, be an, an expression of compassion and grace and humility and mercy and generosity. Live it. That's what you're doing, a new way of living a fuller, more centered, more peaceful, more whole life in Jesus. Okay, let's, we're going to wrap this up with a, a story. Uh, Chewy, not Chewbacca. Um, Chewy uh, is a gang member. And when I, when I stand in this space, and whenever somebody, I think, stands in this space, the goal is always to help you realize how loved you are. And that's so difficult to do. Because I've sat in your seats and, and it feels like empty words when I hear them sometimes and when they come out of my mouth. God, you just need to realize how loved you are. And for some of you, it connects and you're like, really? And I feel it and God works in the spirit in that. And for others of you, it's like, yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Uh, so I look for ways to like Make it known through story. And I, and I keep coming back to this guy, Greg Boyle, who works with gang members in L.A. He's a Jesuit priest. He works with homeboy industries. Maybe you've had some homeboy tortilla chips or been to Homegirl Cafe or up there at all. Uh, but he has a new book. I love his books, by the way. They're like in my top favorites. So if you're writing this down, Tattoos on the Heart, phenomenal. Barking to the Choir is his new one. Love it. Uh, so I want to read you about Chewy. It'll take a couple minutes. Story time. So this is Father Boyle talking. He says, Chewy is texting me. He needs help getting a refrigerator. For a long time, he'd been a big bad gang member and a drug dealer. Quote, I was disguised as that guy, he told me once. He began in our program as all do in janitorial services. Then he worked in our tattoo removal department. After his 18 months were up, he moved beyond us, having found a good paying job with the help of our employment services department. Amen. That's great. 
On the last day, on his last day at Homeboy, he asked to address the gathered at our morning meeting. He, dis, he directed his remarks to the trainees present, and this is what he has to say. He says, all of you, he began, are diamonds covered in dust. And he choked up a bit. You can wipe your dust off here. In his time with us, he had experienced a true liberation and discovered his truest self. As a colleague at Homeboy said, Chewy learned how to be loyal to his own life. It's a Saturday, and I'm running from Mass to talk to baptism. And Chewy's a persistent fellow, though. And after a few text messages, I text back that he should meet me in the fridge section at Sears at 4.30. He writes back, got it, meet for beers at 4.30. He got jokes, as the homies would say. I find him there right on time when I arrive. He gallops toward me, sweeps me up in his arms. And Boyle's not a small man, sweeps me up in his arms and lifts me off the ground in a giant hug. Lots of bystanders stop to stare. When he releases me from his grip, I ask him, have they called security on you yet? Not yet, he answers, but it's only a matter of time. He lets loose his signature laugh, the kind you would want to bottle and carry with you, releasing squeals of it whenever you needed to be lifted up, and turns to the refrigerator salesman, Edgar, whom he has already befriended. I'm touched as I watch them interact, and before long, they make a deal and arrange the delivery. I drive Chewy home, and as we pull up in front of his east side apartment, he tells me that, he, that lately he's been, quote, been having one-on-ones with, you know, God. I don't understand it, he says as he turns and looks at me. The dude shows up. I find this pretty charming and chuckle at first, and then I see that Chewy is as serious as can be. I mean, why would he do that? He asks, allowing his tears free passage. After all the shit and bad I've done, why would he show up? (laughs) That's what he writes. And I asked that same, why would he show up? The 14th century Persian poet Hafez writes this. He says, ever since happiness heard your name, it's been running down the street trying to find you. I love that. Sometimes we need a poet to break through our Wikipedia mind. Ever since happiness heard your name, it's been running down the street trying to find you. What a beautiful way to characterize God's love for you. We think we have to dust ourselves off first. And God is diligently searching for you, always moving towards you in love. And maybe you've been missing out on how great that love is. Maybe you've forgotten. And maybe a guy like Chewie can just remind you that the dude shows up. Same poet, he writes this, one of my favorites. God and I have become like two giant fat people living in a tiny boat. We keep bumping into each other and laughing. (laughs) Oh, that is someone who, (laughs) I love that. 
Doesn't that just bring you joy? Like, doesn't that, that's the kind of relationship you want. And it is Jesus who says, I call you friends. Don't you want to talk about that friend that you, I call you friends. <laughs> I, just, I love that image. <laughs> just them, God throwing his head back and laughing. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Sometimes we do need that poet, the playfulness of God, a friendship, a kinship. We have that kind of relationship with God and the Spirit of Jesus. It just, you're free. Free from fear, free from shame, free from guilt, fully understood as his beloved. And that kind of joy and light is contagious. People want to be around that. There's, there's the psalmist who writes this. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So I'll just close with this. Father Boyle, he writes in the, in the same book, we're always trying to make a good impression. But God is not so interested. Dressed for a job interview, a homie once told me, I just want to make a good expression. <laughs> That's more like it. Our lives fully expressive of God's pleasure, delight, and loving kindness. So I'm going to invite Jared Hoku to come on up, and today we're going to celebrate communion, which was Jesus' expression of God's delight and joy and loving kindness for all of us. He expressed his love and his covenant for us, laying down his life for his friends so that we can be free from fear and shame and guilt and can live a life of joy and peace and kindness and gentleness and all that fruit of the Spirit that he talks about. So God, would you bless this family and these friends, Lord, that have come here today. And would you show us what this looks like moving forward with this as our foundation, that we are fully loved, and that we are just simply to witness to the love that you've given to us and to express that to those around us. And we come now to the table, Lord, where you, you said this is your body broken and your blood poured out for us a beautiful expression, the ultimate act for our salvation. We love you, Jesus, and pray these things in your name. Amen. Um, hi, I'm Melissa, and I'm closing us today. Um, I was thinking about um, when I first became a Christian. I was in my 20s, about 26 or so, right before um, I was pregnant with my first child. And I remember knew in my faith. I was um, in a stroller kind of walking mom's group, a Christian mom's group, and I was walking and I remember one of the moms saying to me, asking what I thought about tattoos and body being a temple. And, and in all honesty, I'd never thought about it. I'm a new Christian. I just knew I love Jesus. And I thought, gosh, are these, the, is this the type of, um, what did I buy into? Are there rules to these things that I do I have to know about this stuff? 
And then I remembered my friend in high school, the one that consistently loved me, the one that um, loved me first. She was the most consistent relationship um, and, and light to Jesus in my life. And the realization as my faith progressed was that her consistency in love was what brought me to ask about Jesus. And that's what I realized, is that regardless if we use our words or not, it's how we live our life and how we love others, which will propel them to ask us, what is it? Who is this Jesus? And so there's no track, there's no um, speech, there's no certain words that have to come with evangel uh, being an evangelist. It's, it's really about being consistent in love, which to me I find it is easier to be consistent in love than it is to be consistent in hypocrisy. And for that, I believe, speaks volumes into who Jesus is. And once you realize the abundance of love that he has for us and how we live our lives, instead of living in the scarcity of it, um, they will ask and they will come and they will know who he is. Heavenly Father, I pray for us as a body, I pray for us as believers, regardless of where we're at in our faith, that we would live knowing full well that you are a God of immense love, the creator, the being, the one who came before us and who will come after us. Let us live in that love that gives and propels us to live a life that leads people to ask, what is it about your life, Lord? What is it about you that changed my friend? What is it about your love for this broken person that um, says that I can be loved too? Lord, may we live in that freedom and may we be consistent in our love for you and for others. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.